Hey everybody, this is Ash from the Rated NA Podcast with an exclusive interview conducted at this year's San Diego Comic-Con 2017. If you like the show, please subscribe and don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. We've got a ton of additional content coming out of San Diego Comic-Con and new shows each week in our feed and on the web. Enjoy the interview. Dirty. All right. Oh, you have a Louise. Hi. Yeah, I know. She's my fave. I think Gene is my favorite, weirdly enough. He's so great. He didn't start out as my favorite, but he is really, I think, my favorite now. <laughs> Gene! <laughs> um, all right. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> yes, all right. Serious. Welcome to the Rated NA podcast. I am Melissa. And I'm Christina. And we are here with Lee Bardugo, author of the Grisha Trilogy and Six of Crows Duology, um, here to talk about some of our new, exciting, upcoming projects. Hi, Lee. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you for having me. Um, for our listeners that aren't familiar with your work, can you tell us about a little bit about where you've taken us and what's coming up next? Um, yeah, I write fantasy novels, and um, I have a trilogy called the Shadow and Bone Trilogy that is um, fantasy set in a world inspired by Tsarist Russia. And I have a duology called the Six of Crows duology, that's Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom, and we usually describe that as Ocean's Eleven meets Game of Thrones, <laughs> or for the children who have never seen Ocean's Eleven, is now you see me means Game of Thrones um, so it's a fantasy heist story um, and then I have two new books coming out um, Wonder Woman Warbringer uh, which is completely separate from the movie it's my story of Diana at 17 um, learning to become the hero that we know her as now and also the language of thorns which is a collection of original fairy tales fully illustrated by Sarah Kippen um, I just saw the final art, and it is so gorgeous, and I feel so lucky. Um, but yeah, those are stories that are set in the world of the Grishaverse, but have nothing to do with the characters. So you can have never read one of my books before and easily pick them up if you're just into retellings or um, stories that like folk tales. And uh, they take place in the countries of the Grishaverse, but they're the kind of stories that my characters would have heard or told growing up. So it's not their modern times it's more of no. like folk tale yes. type thing yes very long cool. ago long ago fairy tale times yes very yeah. cool um that brings me to what we're going to be talking about mostly is warbringer yes since you know comic-con yes know, the big big draw um you have set up such a beautiful detailed world of the grisha universe grisha verse as they <laughs> call it and um it it's like you've written lots of little novellas and things about it as well and you have the new book coming out how did it feel kind of stepping away from that because it's been so big the last you know few years. I, luckily I've um, been able to be in a few anthologies and um, I've written shorts I've written a horror short story I wrote, wrote a short story for Stephanie Perkins anthology summer days summer nights about a girl in upstate New York and a sea monster and a queen at the a, uh, witch at the Dairy Queen, you know, as you do, because um, I love witches and I love Dairy Queen. Um, but so it wasn't that radical a departure for me um, in terms of engaging with a new world. Uh, and luckily, uh, there were some things that DC and Random House felt pretty strongly about, but they did give me a lot of wiggle room to really build Themyscira, the island of the Amazons, kind of the way I wanted to, and to create my own mythology uh, for them. And for me, that was one of the most exciting parts of 
the whole process um, because I love Diana, I love Wonder Woman, and I love the whole idea of the Amazons. So getting to have a little tiny slice of that of that character in that world was really something special. I bet it's really exciting too because there's not much really to be known about mascara so it's it's fun to kind of like build your own well there's actually quite a lot there's a lot of different versions of Wonder Woman canon and of Themyscira and the Amazons but one of the things that I wanted to do was to step away from the idea of the Amazons as this kind of like like historical super race and instead um, I created a Themyscira where any woman who dies gloriously in battle, who dies bravely and cries out to a female deity in her last moment, any deity from any culture um, can have the opportunity to come to Themyscira. So it means anybody in the world can be an Amazon, which for me was a big draw. Um, to be able to build the culture that I wanted to and to have the Amazons retain that. So it's about women who are from different backgrounds but who are all dedicated to peace and working together. That's so cool. Thank you. You're very really, welcome. Yeah, really it's loved writing really it. Exciting. So I hope people enjoy it. Um, Wonder Woman's such a like upheld like part of my childhood and upbringing yeah, and I know too. you touched on it in the panel <laughs> the other day about how the Linda Carter Wonder Woman yes oh my goodness watching those shows growing up was just every it meant everything to me can I just say have you looked at Linda Carter recently she has, doesn't age no she's a witch amazing she is an actual immortal like it is right. really disconcerting <laughs> she's like, stunning is she actually could be yeah could be but yes as, as such a hero in my own life I was wondering um, you know with so many different iterations of Wonder Woman and time and setting and place, um, and you know the TV show growing up, it was all set in the seventies, and it was like yeah. you know um, whatever. It doesn't which, hold up that well. No, honestly. It really doesn't. No. You're like, oh yeah, it was very much around disco. Yes. <laughs> it was that time in your uh, satin tights. How did you find? the place to kind of decide what time period to put Diana in? You know, uh, I knew early on that I wanted it to be a modern story. When she comes, it, instead of doing what the movie does, which w takes us to World War One, I, I wanted to go to our world because I wanted Diana to experience and respond to what our world is like now. And that for me was very fun to write, but it also gave me an opportunity to... <sighs> to put her into situations where the fact that she's come from a place where there is no prejudice and where there is no misogyny and she's suddenly in our modern New York <laughs> and facing off with, you know, investment maker bros and guys who think it's okay to, like, you know, talk to you on the street and, um, and people who are not bad people but who have internalized a lot of ideas about uh, gender or race is was for me something very fun to play with and also I thought sort of important for the character. And certainly there are plenty of versions of Wonder Woman that have done that before. Like I think that's part of why she's an important character. She's kind of an inherently political character. Right. Um, but yeah, and I, I was familiar with a lot of Wonder Woman lore because of the research I had done for um, an essay I wrote for Last Night a Superhero Saved My Life. And so I already had sort of a sense for the things that really resonated for me with her story and the things that I felt okay leaving behind. Very cool. I know you mentioned that also in the, the panel the other day about like what you kind of picked and choose what mm -hmm. things resonated. So what exactly resonated with you about her that you I were mean, like, this I can is what I want to do? <laughs> I can say that like uh, one of the things, you know, when Perez did his kind of reboot of her, um, he really leaned heavily into Greek mythology. And I felt that was always a powerful part of her character. So I wanted to emphasize that a lot. And um, it's also something that Rucka did with Hecatea or Hecataea, I don't know how to pronounce mm -hmm. it. That also, has, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that comic. No. Do yourselves a favor and <laughs> right. Google it because that cover 
is one of the greatest covers of all time. And I don't want to spoil it for you, okay. but it is a delight. Nice. Um, we'll so I out. wanted to lean into that, and, and but also to go to the real traditions of Greek religion and to really make the Amazon culture that Diana grew up in and the ideas of heroism that Diana grew up in um, feel really grounded. I wanted to make it feel as real as I would try to make any fantasy world scene. Um, but then there were also things like, you know, there's, there's a, this prehistoric element that Perez did that didn't particularly work for me. There are things in Gail Simone's run that I absolutely love, particularly just the way that she treats her character and the way that she engages with others that I think really um, were big for me. And even I think I took some inspiration from um, Noel Stevenson did uh, this one-off that was just so lovely and charming and had this lightness to it that I thought had a place in the Wonder Woman story. You know, So there are a lot of different nice. things, but it was just sort of the experience of when there's that much canon of culling the things mm -hmm. that, you know, and it's personal for everybody. Everybody right. has a different relationship. Everybody loves a particular run of a comic or a version, you know, an animated movie version or whatever it is. Yeah. And so really thinking about what she means to me and what I think resonates for other people with her. Right. And that leads me right into the next question perfectly is she is such a well-known character. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean... To little kids who have never even actually read anything yeah. or seen a movie, they know Wonder Woman. They can yeah. recognize her, and every I mean, people who are fans of her have this like deep set love for her. And did you worry at all that y you would have these, you know, diehard fans that would be of like, course. no, that is not the right thing? Absolutely. I mean, I think anytime you're dealing with a character who's an icon, uh, you're absolutely you know that there are going to be people who don't see. Uh, what you do in that character and that's just a reality of it and I knew when I said yes to the project that I had to sort of anticipate that but you can't you know I always say scared artists make bad art so at some point you have to leave behind the, those loud voices those right. critical voices and that's true in any project that's you know that you have to leave behind that critical voice and just engage with the story as a story and she has a wonderful story and she's an incredible mm -hmm. character to write because she is so hopeful and because she has this deep kindness in her and this deep compassion in her that I think really makes her unique among heroes but yeah I mean it's it's kind of cool to be working um, on a hero who um, you know, there are so many people who have never picked up a comic or who have never seen her in a cartoon or right. who, you know, maybe the movie was their first exposure to her but still yes. know who she is and also what she represents. Exactly. So kind of doing a little crossover here. Yes. If you had a character from <laughs> yes. your Grishaverse yeah. enter into your Warbringer book, oh my gosh. who would make a good sidekick or a villain or just an appearance would like wow. fit just really well? Oh, I love that. I feel like I feel like Inej and Nina would have yes. a lot of fun on Themyscira. And I oh, feel yeah. like Diana would love them and they would love her. And I feel like they'd fit in perfectly with um, Diana's new squad with Alia and Theo and Jason. Like, I think that would be pretty incredible. I would not bring Kaz around. Too serious. He, no, just too immoral like, like, <laughs> I don't think Diana him. would uh, would stand for any of his law breaking um, and I think I think like Nikolai would be a really great yeah. a great foil for Diana that would be cool too with like his kind of mythology yes. and his character yes. written in there too I love it um, and then last but not least um, with adult Diana has always been you know, the hero that mm -hmm. I've looked up to as, I mean, as a young adult. Yeah. Um, with your young adult version of Diana, what is like the, what do you want young readers to connect or identify with, with her? You know, 
it was an interesting thing to explore Diana at 17 because for me it was about finding the points of vulnerability for her. Um, she, in most tellings, though not all, comes to the world of men as our world, the mortal world, as an adult. And so she doesn't have that kind of origin story like Superman does where he came as a baby to our world and Batman where this pivotal thing happened in his childhood. And I feel like this is the formative moment, right? So this gave me a chance to think about what that formative moment was for her. And uh, Diana is the only Amazon who's never been tested in battle. She is the only baby that's ever been born on this island. Right. So she's never had a chance to like hang with other teenagers. <laughs> and she also feels very isolated on this island because she doesn't entirely feel like she belongs. And so like many people, you know, she wants an opportunity to do her best and to show what she can do, but she also isn't entirely sure what that is yet. And I think that's not only resonant for teenagers, but I think for a lot of adults too. Oh yes. No. Yeah. 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 I totally I mean, get yeah. it. I think we have this myth about YA that you know, like, like somehow if you hit, when you hit 18, the, all the right. wisdom descends and you've no, evolved no, no, and then no. you're good <laughs> and you're going to drink some tea and, and, and be like, yes, yes, I've yes, lived my I life. I understand the world. I have arrived. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done evolving now. And the truth is, I think one of the reasons why I is so popular with adults is because it's not so much about coming of age mm-hmm. as about these really powerful moments of transition when you come up against the world and what the world thinks of you. Mm -hmm. And we all have those moments again and again in our lives. We're stuck in a job we don't like, right? Right. Or we have a dream that we haven't really gotten a chance to pursue. Or we move cities. Or we go through a terrible breakup or whatever it is. And we have to find a new group of people that we hang with. Or, you know, or we have kids, you know, and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden we have to hang out with the parents. Like, you know, (laughs) maybe you don't like them, you know. There's a whole... um, reestablishment of identity that happens at different stages in our lives and I think to me that's what Diana's story is all about. Yeah I mean it's like those feelings are still there no matter what the situation is. We still feel that so I think YA does speak to more than just teenagers. I mean ideally not ideally but logically you're a different person at 18 than you are at 28 than you are at 38 than you are at 48 like if you stopped evolving at 18 You know, maybe not such a good thing. The best piece of advice my dad ever gave me was when I was 14, and he said, look at your life every two years from here on out until you're 25. Hmm. And it was 14, 16, 18, and every two years, it was like, oh my gosh, I have gone through a transformation. But even again, at 19, 21, 23, it was a total transformation of my own self, and I think that's that's really... Your 30s, like, it still is happening. It happens, I think, at every stage in your life. I was just talking to a friend about this, that, you know, you go through an age where all your friends are getting married, and then you go through an age where all your friends are getting divorced, and then you go through an age where everybody's getting remarried, you know, and this idea of... having kids. Yes. And so YA is the genre of firsts. Yes, it's about first love, but you can have the feelings of first love a second time because you're you're falling in love anew, or you can have your heart broken again for the first time. Absolutely. Those feelings, I think, resonate very powerfully with adults, and though there are plenty of people who love to write YA off as, you know, a genre that only belongs to adolescents, I think there's a legitimate reasons why it resonates with so many people. So in other words, don't just buy the book if you're a teenager. Everybody should buy this book. Everybody Everybody buy buy my book. book. That's my message to you today. (laughs) Yes, I agree. (laughs) 
So once again, just remind us when your books come out and where we can find you on social media. Oh, um, you can find me everywhere as El Bardugo. It's just my initial L, not like El Bardugo, but <laughs> El Bardugo. El Bardugo. Um, on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook. Um, and uh, my books come out. Uh, Wonder Woman Warbringer comes out on August 29th. So close. And I know it's really soon. And then just one month later, The Language of Thorns comes out. Very exciting. On September 26th. And um, I can't stress enough how beautiful that book looks. Mm -hmm. I am just, I can say that because I didn't have anything to do with it. All right, and before we head out, uh, we just have some really fun SDCC, SDCC, yes, (laughs) (laughs) that starts to like, you know, Mm -hmm. become a tongue twister questions, just kind of some fun lightning round stuff. All right, I'm ready. Um, You know, are you familiar with the game Would You Rather? Yes. Okay, so they're kind of like Would You Rather superhero questions. Okay. Would you rather want the power of telepathy, but only if every time you used it, the powers on the person that you used it with blurted out one of your secrets? Oh my gosh. Or... Would you rather want the power of healing, like Wolverines, so you could like self-heal, but every time you healed, you grew a random finger somewhere on your body? Definitely the second one. Because <laughs> you can have those fingers removed. Oh, yeah. You know? You Never could even have like, like the spine of fingers. I'm totally fine with that. I have many dark secrets. I don't want them blurted out anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And then, would you rather want the ability to shapeshift into any animal, but if every time you used your powers, you permanently retained one of the attributes of that animal. These are great. (laughs) Or would you want the ability to communicate with animals if only every time you communicated you'd forget one word of the English language? (gasps) These are devious. Y'all are dark. Um, Okay. Wow, this is brutal. Okay, I think I'm going to go with the first one. Yeah, shape-shifting. Shape-shifting, and I'll just be really fuzzy and <laughs> like maybe, bang. like, pee on hydrants. I don't know, but I would be really careful about what I chose to shape-shift into, I think. Yeah, right? Or it goes back to, you know, cosmetic surgery. You I just get it removed. I don't know, but I don't. Like, the idea of losing language, I think, for a writer especially, is just cruel. Cruel! <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again so much for coming on the show yeah. and, and talking with us. Thank you, guys. Have a great con. Yay! Thanks so much for listening to our San Diego Comic-Con 2017 coverage. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at NerdAppropriate, Facebook slash NerdAppropriate, or email us directly, Matt, Scott, or Ash at NerdAppropriate.com. We're going to be at PAX West in September, and we'll be on a number of panels at the show, so keep listening. Uh, For more information and more details leading up to the event, we hope to see you there.